0: Sponsored by the Facial Paralysis and Bell's Palsy Foundation and by Rise Physical Therapy. This is Unique Smiles, the Facial Paralysis Podcast, and I'm your host, Brian April. Welcome to Unique Smiles, the facial paralysis podcast, which is now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Search Unique Smiles or search Facial Paralysis Podcast. And if you wanna follow me, I am on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube at Comedy Brian, B-R-I-A-N. My guest today is Steve Kenny, who got facial paralysis due to nerve trauma resulting from a car accident. I've known Steve uh, on the forums for a couple of years, and thanks for, for being on here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you got facial paralysis.
1: So I was in a, um, what I thought at the time was a pretty minor car accident, which I just celebrated the five-year anniversary of that. So it's December of 2014. I was driving and somebody backed their car into the road and hit my car. And I got, you know, what seemed like minor whiplash at the time. Um, The car had to be towed from the scene just due to some front end fender damage, but I really didn't think anything of it. And it was right around Christmas time. I was traveling to see family. And so I really didn't think anything of it. Didn't seek medical attention at the time. I had some, some neck pain, some shoulder pain, but I really didn't take it seriously and didn't think anything of it. I called my, um, physician, and I had asked them questions and they said if it seems to get worse, come in. And it kind of waxed and waned. That's been kind of by my, my story is waxing and waning. Um, and after nine weeks, I had a TIA, which is a transient ischemic attack. It's like a warning stroke. But at the time, I was 32 in good health, and I thought I just had a really bad headache. And then about 24 hours later, um, I had severe ocular pain on only on my left side, um, started having trouble swallowing, and then I couldn't swallow at all. And my wife came home from work, tried to get me to eat um, pistachios, salted pistachios, which to this day, I still can't eat or smell pistachio without it triggering a lot for me personally. Um, And I couldn't swallow those. And at that point, um, she rushed me to the hospital um, they did a CT scan, and they determined that I had had what's called a vertebral dissection, which is one of the arteries that runs on the side of your neck had um, gotten pinched in the car accident and a clot released to my brain. And then the clot caused a stroke. And then one of the um, results of that stroke was uh, facial paralysis uh, on the left side of my face. Wow.
0: that's a, I haven't heard that one before. So that wasn't even from the... The the accident itself, it was the the buildup of the pinched nerve afterwards.
1: Well, so so the accident caused that the vertebral artery to pinch, mm-hmm. and then it just took nine weeks before that clot formed and then ultimately released to the brain. So it was causally connected to the accident, but it didn't occur right at the time. So that's kind of it's it's pretty far attenuated when you look at the amount of time between the incidents, but they are kind of causally related. Um, the way that this type of stroke actually can happen often for people is minor car accidents or women when they're getting their hair cut and colored because they've got their neck back in the sink and then they get whipped forward in the chair and they don't realize what happened to their neck until weeks later when a clot releases and they have, you know, what's, what's actually is considered a TBI, a traumatic brain injury, that's what the stroke is. I've learned way more about this than I ever wanted to by being through it, but I'm definitely a little more educated than most people about it
0: now. That is, uh, you have—that <laughs> is the absolute truth. I know way more about facial paralysis and different types than I ever thought uh, I would. I, I just remember back, even before 10 years ago, I was like, I had no idea, and I was completely ignorant to to most of it. So. So tell me, what was your mental state like after you, you just get facial paralysis? You, you go and you have the stroke and then all of a sudden, boom.
1: So it was kind of that flight or fight situation. And I found myself retreating. I, w- I live in Boston, Massachusetts, in uh, New England, the United States. Um, I'm surrounded by some of the best hospitals in the world. So I'm extremely lucky to be geographically where I am. Um, one of the places where I did kind of five weeks of, of rehab after being released from Mass General Hospital was a place called Spalding. Um, beautiful views of the Charlestown Navy Yard. And instead of looking out the window, um, I found myself asking for the blinds to be closed. And that kind of was made me realize that mentally I was not doing as well as I should be. But I didn't wanna see people outside running, walking their dogs, playing on the playground, driving the car, all those things I thought, I'm never gonna be able to do because of the stroke, because of facial paralysis, because of you know, ocular issues. Um, I was nonverbal for a while. I couldn't eat. I had a G-tube. And I really thought, um, this is kind of the end of the road. And um, I found myself retreating, wanting the doors closed, the windows closed. I did my OT, PT, speech and swallow therapy. But I really, you know, I found myself retreating rather than realizing that what I really needed to be doing was to empower myself and to be, you know, to Spalding's motto is find your strength. And I found myself needing to find that strength to make sure that I was doing what I needed to be doing.
0: And I think most people can relate to that who, who uh, acquire facial paralysis. You definitely do retreat and hide. Was there any timeline that they gave you that this might go away? Or did you know that it was going to be permanent at that time?
1: I was actually told that I might um never I, I had vision issues that I might never see again, um, that I might never swallow again, that I might um I had a stage of aphasia, which is uh inability to speak, um I couldn't formulate words for a while, I couldn't I was nonverbal, I was NPO, meaning I couldn't eat at all, I was aspirating and getting um had a suction tube to you know to remove fluid from my mouth and my throat and I was told we don't know and that is like I what I do for work, I'm an attorney and I don't like somebody telling me we don't have an answer to something. I want to know there is an answer. I want to be able to advocate. I want to be able to do that and being told we don't know what that endpoint is was extremely difficult for me. And I said, well if you don't know what that endpoint is then I'm gonna decide what my endpoint is. And it's going to be once I've done everything and exhausted every resource and advocated for myself to make sure I'm getting the best care and I'm doing personally everything that I can do um, to, you know, to not hinder and to expedite my recovery.
0: With all of those health problems going on, were you still focused on your face as a, you know, the way your face was looking or was that kind of like, that doesn't even matter at this point?
1: I think the two things I focused on most were that my face didn't work because you're constantly in this world. You're judged. I mean, pardon the pun. You're judged on face value. You're judged. Your face is the first thing people see about you. And it really, you know, it tells expression, you communicate even non-verbally so much with your face. And then couple that with I'm in a room surrounded by mirrors. I'm doing speech and swallow therapy with a mirror in front of me all the time um i was felt like i was being constantly reminded of what was wrong with my face and it was it was that was very difficult the other thing that was really hard was um the lack of mobility and uh feeling that i couldn't be independent because i was um i was in a bed where they had a motion sensor on it so i couldn't even get out of bed um with a walker or a wheelchair without somebody in the room with me. And it was it was it was very hard to think to myself at 32 years old that I might not walk again.
0: Yeah, that's pretty scary. So how does that impact you? You know, you said you, you're married. How does that impact your marriage? How does that impact your relationship with your family and your friends and that sort of thing?
1: So for, for me, I'm, I had been married for five years. My wife and I've been together since uh, since college. She's been an amazing support, but I think what was hard for her was to be able to sit back and it's this is completely out of her control and a chunk of it is out of my control. But she's trying to keep me motivated to do my therapy and um, get rest, nutrition, focus on my OT, PT, things like that. But she's also got to be taken care of. Herself, she works full-time, so her career, our house, we had actually ironically just adopted a dog a couple weeks before this all happened. So it was, there was a lot that was being asked of her. But what I found is that this could make or break um, facial paralysis, a stroke, any major medical event, I feel like really tests a marriage and um, we came out stronger than ever. Um, She's my best friend. Um, Our communication is to, how we feel, um, you know, fears, hopes, dreams, all that, we've really been much more open with each other about how we're feeling about things. We also um, are very career focused and it allowed us to step back from our careers and focus on, you know, all the money in the world, all the career advances, all that doesn't matter if you're not here for each other. And so we really were able to kind of step back and say, we need to focus on ourselves and our relationship as well as the recovery and all that and i you know i thought to myself when i was in a wheelchair i thought maybe i'll never walk again, maybe i'll never run again all these what what's not going to happen but i could still make my wife laugh and the first time i heard her laugh said to me you know what if i can make her laugh we're going to be okay and it's somebody brian i mean you're a comedian um, I deal with trauma. I deal with everything in life with humor. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that I could still make her laugh, that meant the world to me in terms of the success and you know how we were gonna get through things.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely huge. i I agree a thousand percent on that. What was your initial course of uh, treatment? Uh, obviously, you were doing the the therapy for the swallowing and the speech, and but as far as anything else that you were looking at,
1: So I looked at, you know, my, my thing was, you know, I had OT, PT, speech and swallow therapy, um, when I was at, um, Spalding and then when I was discharged, I continued that on an outpatient basis and I also incorporated acupuncture and, you know, I, am not a doctor. I can't say one way or another, but I will say for me personally, I feel like it helped a lot in terms of, um swallow therapy and, you know, fluidity of movement and fine motor control. And so that was a huge thing for me. And, um, I'd say about a year and a half out from the actual accident and the facial paralysis. Um, I was lucky enough to see, uh, Dr. Hadlock, which a lot of people in the facial paralysis community know at Mass Eye and Ear Institute in Boston, Dr. Hadlock, Dr. Jawa and the physician's assistant, Carrie Shanley, um, have been instrumental in, um, kind of my recovery process. So I did the sural nerve transfer from my leg to bridge across my face. And then I did the gracilis muscle transfer, um, which has given me, you know, movement. And at rest, my face is symmetrical. Um, you know, I can smile with closed lips and it, it looks it looks good. Um, it's, it's, what I've realized is the way it looks now, it's never going to necessarily look the way it did five years ago. All the surgeries, all the efforts, all the PT isn't necessarily going to bring back what I had, but what I have now, it's really made me so grateful for. And then I also, on a, every four months, I do do Botox on the good side of my face um, to create facial symmetry um, with the paralyzed side.
0: Do you have any synkinesis or anything like that?
1: I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. The only thing that I have is sometimes the eyelid on my the paralyzed side of my face. Sometimes I, I was lucky enough that I didn't have to have a, um, a weight installed or anything like that. Um, but sometimes that becomes irritated, either stress, um, driving in a car with the windows down. But overall, um, I, I'm lucky that I haven't had any other uh, complicating factors
0: so you you mentioned Botox, and I get Botox as well as a guy. I never thought in a million years I would end up getting botox uh It just always seemed like it was this really vain thing to do, and there's this whole you know medical reasoning for it that uh, you know I've since learned. Was that kind of weird for you to get Botox uh, especially on your uh non affected side
1: it was it was I think you, you made the perfect point. It was weird for those two reasons. I felt weird going in and saying, you know, doing something that to me seemed solely focused on vanity. Um, Dr. Hadlock published a very interesting piece about quality of life and mental health as related to um Botox injections on people with facial paralysis. And it was a really great article to read and it really talks about how you know, having that facial symmetry and using Botox for medi- you know, a medical purpose, um, it's more than just the cosmetic looks and it's how much deeper it goes. But it, it was kind of weird because I always think of Botox as, you know, the frozen face, the Hollywood, Nicole Kidman, those type of people. And it was weird to see that done in a medical environment. I have mine done either by Dr. Hadlock, Dr. Jout, or uh, Physician's Assistant Shanley. Um, to be doing it in a medically supervised environment, I'm not going to get that weird frozen look. I'm just trying to balance out. And then the other point you made is having it done on the quote unquote good side of my face. That seemed very odd to do, but I remember the first time I had it done, I thought of one of the stand-up routines you did about um, looking inquisitive. And it mm-hmm. it, made, it made me think of having, uniform eyebrows across the top rather than one that didn't work. And one that was kind of almost looked like it was overcompensating for the other, for the uh, paralyzed side of my head.
0: You know, what's really funny about that. You mentioned that joke, uh, which um, I talk about, you know, the eyebrows, I can only raise one eyebrow. So I don't look surprised. I look inquisitive. Uh, When I originally wrote that my affected side, the eyebrow was lower um, than my non-affected side. And after a while, I've had some uh, issues with my frontalis muscle, which is uh, the forehead. It's gotten tighter and it's raised that other eyebrow. So now that that eyebrow is actually higher than uh, my non-affected side. So when I go to do the bit, it it almost evens them out now. And so I have to like tilt my head a little more. It's just weird how that shifted uh, over, over the years where it was, my eyebrow was lower and now it's higher. It's, the very...
1: what, what I will point out is how much i butchered your joke when trying to retell it just now. If <laughs> <laughs> my, my sister listens to this, she knows how bad I am at retelling other people's jokes. And this is a prime example of, I said you didn't look inquisitive, and so I I, I butchered the punchline, and I apologize. Oh, that's okay.
0: Uh, it happens all the time. I butcher them too. What kind of impact do you have on your daily life still as a result of facial paralysis? Well,
1: I think one of the things I kind of touched on is um photos that has been something that's extremely difficult and in, in the kind of the the social media the selfies everything and everyone having a camera phone now I just constantly for so long felt worried about getting my picture taken um, and that's something that is still not you know it's not something I I love having done um, but I've, I've realized that this is my new normal and and maybe it'll change. I'm gonna get older, I'll lose more hair, I'll gain and lose weight, but this is right now. And so I need to be, you know, accepting of getting those pictures taken. What I've learned to do over, I'd say maybe the past year or so is kind of, when somebody takes a picture, say, I say, take a few of them. It's not like, you know, when I was a kid, where you'd only have 30 on a roll. It's like, you know, we all have iPhones or whatever. Now I can ask for multiple pictures from different angles to be taken so that I can, you know, to activate my muscles, you know, I can clench my teeth. I can try and open my eyes more. So being able to feel comfortable saying to people, Hey, do you mind taking a few pictures? Um, that's been something that's been very kind of, uncomfortable for me that I've tried to learn ways to to cope with that because I really for so long said don't take pictures of me um, there's about three years of my life where there are no pictures at family events or anything and everyone was always accepting of and respectful of my wishes but now I look at it and say oh I, I was there I was at Christmas but there's no picture of me there and you know I I I want that memory to, to be there and to be captured. And although I might not love the picture, it's, it's still there as a reminder, so.
0: You just hit on something that uh, I've spoken about a couple of times, I think on this podcast or just in, in talking with people and it's because a lot of people really do have struggle with pictures. If you can make it not about you, and like you said, like you just said, it's about the memory. So if I take a picture with my mom and she looks at the picture, she doesn't see my facial paralysis. She sees her son. Or someone sees their husband or their brother or their, you know, their nephew or whatever it is. And they're not just going, Oh, look at their face, look at their face. And I feel like it's, I've kind of learned to go, Oh, it's kind of selfish to take that away from them and from you really, because you don't have that memory and you know, you just go, Oh, that was, that was Christmas. That was a wonderful time. Oh, that was our trip to Italy. That was such an amazing time. And to, to take that from somebody, um, you know, your friends don't see your face that way. Your friends just see you, your parents and your family just see you. So I, I think I strongly encourage people, if you can try to twist your, uh, change your mind frame a little bit, um, about that, it, it makes taking pictures a lot easier, uh, professionally, oh, yeah. it's a little, a little different. And I, I'll, I always have like a joke. Oh, I got a good side, you know, and I yeah. make sure I get on my good side. And I know there's a couple of poses that I can do. And I'm sure you do the same thing where you go, okay, this is uh this is my pose. And like you said, ask for a couple extra pictures. So I think that's a a good, good alternative and and good advice for people. Um, I love, I love
1: the point. I love the point that you made about, you know, if you take a picture with your mom, your mom looks at it and sees Brian, she doesn't see the facial paralysis. And what I think is for so long, I was thinking every time I saw somebody or somebody saw me for the first time, that was all they were seeing. And I think we all are our worst critics and most judgmental of ourselves and realizing that most people aren't looking at those, you know, quote unquote flaws the same way that we are. They aren't as obsessive about that as as we are Um, and realizing that, you know, when I see people that I haven't seen in 10 years, you know, it's, oh, you look different. And I just, again, I use humor and it's, oh, you mean I have less hair or like, you know, I weigh more. And you know, they might be talking about facial paralysis. They might be talking about a hundred other things or right. realizing that, that most people aren't judging us the same way we judge ourselves. Um, and we need to be easier on ourselves. And it's also, this whole process has made me uh, much more sensitive to other people and, you know, the struggles that they may have gone through that I don't even know. And I feel like I kind of try and be more sensitive and cut people a little more slack than maybe I did before.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit before we started recording about, uh, you know, the nature of, of being vain because that's just our, you know, like you said, the, we just see our face, our face is out there. It's the first thing people see. And it can be tough to, to kind of deal with that that loss and all that focuses is, is on, you know, me and how can I look better and how can I look normal? And it's, it's just a, a really strange, you know, dynamic that we have to kind of shift through. Yeah.
1: And I, and I, and I think that it, this whole process made me say, okay, not only does my face encompass who I am, it's a piece of the pie, just like, you know, having a stroke, having facial paralysis. Well, I'm also a husband, I'm also a brother. I, uh, you know, it's like, I wear a lot of proverbial hats and realizing that this is part of my story but it doesn't define completely who I am and I can't but it's only if I allow it to kind of encompass me mentally that's when when I really find myself focusing on that I need to step back and kind of refocus on something else that's positive in my life and realize to find gratitude in everything Um, and that's what I've really tried to do. be focused on is that it's the little things of you know when i couldn't you know hey i couldn't drink water for the longest time i had a g2 and now i can eat now i can drink and that is that's a victory and you know my eye used to not close all the way and i had to use an adhesive weight and now my eyelid closed on its own so it's like things aren't perfect but there's still so much in my life that is amazing and that's what i have to focus on
0: well and and to kind of uh, play off of what you just said, there are a lot of people who are going through it right now that may be in like a really dark time. And I know for I had a really dark time, I know you had a really dark time. What started to to change for you to to start to see past to the pity party or or whatever it was? Like what events were kind of there that started to turn? towards acceptance because you've obviously have a a really uh, great attitude about it now. And you have, uh, seems like you've accepted it very well and are are doing great. So, but what kind of helped lead you there?
1: So I kind of tried to incorporate like four rules in my life going forward. Um, and they're constantly evolving, but there's four main focuses for me. And the first one, which was so important was to set relevant, and achievable goals so it's like when i first came home i was walking with a cane and i was like i've gotta get up on the ladder and i gotta clean the gutters i've gotta rake the yard i've got i took one swipe with the rake and i almost fell over i came into the kitchen and i love to cook and i tried to pull out the big Le crusade dutch oven and i couldn't lift it up and those were so those you know being able to do some cooking being able to do some yard work maybe it was going to be just doing a window box maybe it wasn't gonna you know i wanted i knew i ultimately wanted to be able to mow my lawn again climb up on a ladder but i needed to set relevant and achievable like small goals and work towards those um and then one thing we've already touched on was to address those emotional changes there's a you know So much of this is, you know, it could be chemical, it could be spiritual, emotional, so much kind of gets thrown our way. And being able to ask for help became something that, and I still struggle with on a daily basis, but being able to, you know, ask my wife for help, call the doctor and ask for something, talk to my paralegals at work, ask them to, you know, being able to, to do that rather than not being able to do it myself or not do it as well as I could have, but to be able to reach out and ask people, it's so cliche, but, you know, asking for help is, to me, is a way of being strong. Um, uh, And then to be informed, and I think you and also a couple other people in our group, especially Elizabeth, really epitomize what being informed about services, about causation, about the community and about what your own personal journey has been is so important in terms of finding your strength and being able to self-advocate because, you know, our spouses can, can help us. Doctors can help us, but we have to, we have to want that help. We have to accept it. We have to seek it out ourselves and then stupid little things like our routine. Like I got so excited when I came home and was brushing my teeth um, because I couldn't brush my teeth in the hospital. (laughs) And and doing that little routine and building on that has really helped me on a daily basis.
0: I uh sorry, I didn't mean to laugh during the brushing of the teeth, but it just reminded me of the same thing. I would when I first got it, I would brush my teeth and I would go to spit and I couldn't spit and it would just roll out of my mouth. I was yeah, like, yeah. This, this is this is a good look. So yeah. You oh, just have... <laughs>
1: I think What was funny is I wasn't allowed to brush my teeth in the hospital because the water would run down and go into my lungs. Mm. So I wasn't allowed to brush it. So I got so excited when I could do something as simple as yeah. brush my teeth at home. And then it turned into, okay, I can take a shower. I can cook, chop up the vegetables while my wife is cooking. And it really – like my life – has gotten back, I'd say, ninety-five percent physically to what I had before. Um, I do miss that five percent, and I, you know, I kind of do still more than that. But I look at that ninety-five percent that I have, and also the things that I've gained. I've gained friendships within the facial paralysis community. Um, my marriage with my wife is stronger than ever. Um, my career uh, actually got so much, so much more rewarding because my definition of success in life has just shifted dramatically from what it was five years ago.
0: Yeah. I was just about to ask you, do you feel in somehow that it's, I don't want to say a blessing, but it's, it's, a uh, you know, you hear people who, who have cancer and then they say it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I learned to slow down and I learned to appreciate life. And I learned to, you know, to take life seriously and then focus on my goals and go, you know, after what I really want to do. Do you find that's kind of happened to you?
1: Oh, I I really
0: I don't know if I'd say'm I'm, I'm glad I have facial
1: paralysis, I'm glad I've gone through what I have, but I' I'm, I'm happy and content with where I am in my life right now. and I don't think I'd be at the same place in my life right now had this not happened. So in, in, if taking it that way, I would say, yes, I am glad for what I've gone through because it did teach me so much and make me reevaluate things in my life to be where I'm at now, but I sure as heck w- wish that I could be at this place, not having gone through the last five years, but I, <laughs> I just don't, I don't know if I would be at this place had I not gone through all that. So it's kind of like, I, I don't really 100% right. know how to answer. That question.
0: Yeah. It's not so much that you're glad, but you've at least been able to find the the silver lining to it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like find, find, find the joy, find the gratitude and just be able to realize again, that. Rather than for so long, I was focusing on that five percent of what I don't have, and say, okay, I have ninety-five percent, but I've actually gained even more. So am I over a hundred percent now? I I don't know. It's very hard because my brain wants to quantify everything, mm-hmm. and what we've all been through, it's you can't really quantify it. And doctors have all these different metrics they try and measure, you know, facial movement on facial this and. You know, there are certain things emotionally that you just can't measure, and that's that's kind of where I'm at now. But I'm I'm happy with my life. I'm lucky for all the blessings that I have, some of which are because of this, and my whole life has just completely changed over the last five years. But
0: I have a good life today. That's awesome to hear. So, last question for me, and I ask this to everybody. What advice do you have for people who just recently acquired facial paralysis and are struggling? what What can you tell them?
1: Um, I would say you know it's it's kind of own how you're feeling um, own this because it's it's hard. Like just, just recognize that it's a, it's a, it's a trauma regardless of how you achieved and, or how you received facial paralysis. It's a trauma and it's something that affects you physically and emotionally and mentally. And it it affects every aspect of your life and own that. But then also realize that everyone can try and help you and can try and do things, but you have to be willing to accept that help. And you also have to be, willing to advocate for yourself and find that, you know, to to empower yourself with, with knowledge and to, to push yourself, but also realize that sometimes the best thing you can do is to rest and recover. And that was something that was hard for me was always wanting to go, go, go. And then realizing that um, rest and recovery is maybe what my body needs. And so that balance of, Owning the, owning how you feel, but also, you know, and, and mourning that, but also then pushing forward and saying that you, you can't be silent, you have to be taking the next step forward in this journey, because it is, it's a journey, every day is different. And I don't know what my face is going to look like five years from now. And had this not happened, I w- still wouldn't know what my face would look like today, you know. I would have more. I'd sure as heck, have more wrinkles because I wouldn't have Botox. Right. But that, that's the only that's the only definitive thing that I would know.
0: All right, Steve. Well, thank you so much for for taking the time today and sharing your story and your wisdom. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. And we'll have to do this again soon. And uh, next time, and back home, I'll uh, we'll have to get together and, and hang out a bit.